Welcome to the U.S. Fire Journal Podcast. We offer views and opinions on the fire service around the world with no topic too tough to handle. Visit us at usfirejournal.com for all your fire service information. Now, here's your host, Jay. Good afternoon and welcome into the podcast. I am Jay. And today is February 14th. It's Valentine's Day. And guess who got married? That's right. Not me. I did not get married. But a friend of mine who uh, worked with me on the coast, uh, he did get married. And uh, he texted me this morning and he said, they just got back from their honeymoon. And he said, man, I'm really liking this. You know, I like being married. And being the supportive friend that I am, I said, well, give it time and then we'll see. Because it's Valentine's Day after all. A um, couple of things I want to talk about today. I want to start off talking a little bit about truck companies and, and, and uh, truck company work and understanding uh, ladder trucks, aero devices. And, you know, there's so much that, that you have to learn when you want to uh, operate a truck company. And you don't get it in you don't get it in an, an academy class. You don't really get it in any one class at all. It has to be experience, and then sometimes seeking things out on your own. One of the things, though, that I think is important, especially for would-be aerial operators, i.e., people who drive, is understanding some of the terminology uh, about uh, aerial trucks. One of the ones I like to start off with is a torque box. If somebody says, yeah, you know, I want to be on a truck, I want to learn the truck, all that, I'll start off with, I'll ask them, what's a torque box? Oftentimes, uh, you get a look like, duh, I don't know. I'm like, well, so what is a torque box? Well, torque box is very important. The torque box is uh, it's attached below the turntable, and it, trans- it transfers torsional loads or torsion loads uh, to the chassis and then subsequently to the ground. It is very much a part of uh, what stabilizes uh, an aerial device. So everybody knows the jacks, right? I mean, I mean that's not a hard one. The outriggers, the jacks, the stabilizers. Um, and that also transfers loads to the ground. Um, it is very visible. So when you talk about stability with an aerial device, People constantly say, oh, you know, they throw up their hands and they'll say, oh, I know what it is. Less so with a torque box. Uh, but the torque box is vital. Um, and, and that and, um, you know, you marry that and the, the uh, stabilizers or jacks and you end up, uh, you have a good system there to help stabilize the aero device. One of the biggest parts of stabilizing the aero device, though, and, and this one might not come to mind quickly, but it is, is the aerial operator. The more you know about how uh, aero devices transfer loads, the more you know about your particular device, um, you know, the, the more that you have raised, lowered, and rotated it, uh, the better you are as an operator you will understand what you can and can't do. And oftentimes we teach the can't, right? We do. We say, well, you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do that over there. But here's something that's important. 
it's important to work with what you can do. If you take the time to learn how an aerial device operates, how it transfers loads, what impacts wind has on it, what impacts terrain has on it, um, short jacking, you know, full jacking, I don't care what it is. Um, the more you, uh, you know, operate that aerial, and the more you realize, hey, I've got this information coupled with this, you'll be surprised by what you can do. That list of can'ts, it's not that it's going to disappear, but let's face it, the list of cans are vital. People will teach the can'ts all day long because let's face it, hey, whoa, we can't, you know, we can't do anything to, to destroy the aerial device or anything, which is good teaching. But let's talk more about what you can do. Can is very positive, it's forward thinking. We never get rid of the can'ts, but let's talk about the things you can do. Let's talk about what you can do if, if you know, some can'ts become can depending upon where the aerial device is being utilized. We all know that, that uh, you know, depending upon where the aerial is coming off the, uh, the rig itself, you know, is it going over the front cab? Is it coming off the back? Is it going off a quarter? Is it going off the side? All those things matter. Are we flowing water? Are we not flowing water? Uh, what's the wind like? Has it been brutally cold? Is it, you know, unbelievably hot? Things matter. The environment matters when it comes to, to operating devices like an aerial device. The same goes for a hose line as well. We just don't think about it in those terms. Um, but with this aerial device, I submit that we need to learn what we can do because we are a can-do group of people. If you just learn the can'ts and that's what you focus on, you'll feel like I can't move this aerial device anywhere. I watch it sometimes. I watch people setting up an aerial device. I watch them go out and drill. And what I like to do is I like to walk away a little bit and just watch. And you'll see. People, are, or people will constantly amaze you by how uh, little they do with an aerial device. It's as if they feel as though it could tip over at any second. And to be sure, um, there are circumstances where an aerial device can fail. But you know what it does with alarming regularity? It succeeds. It succeeds in getting people out, providing secondary means of, of ingress or egress, all sorts of things. So what's your list of cans with respect to an aerial device? What's the terminology? And again, can't and can are two, two words, and we teach them both. But which one empowers you to do more with that thing? I'll tell you this. You go to cities where aerial devices are used on the regular. Old eastern cities. Um, you'll be surprised at where, at where uh, a stick can be placed. You'll be shocked at where uh, you know, a mid-mount is able to get into and, and where the jacks are put out and, and just how close to a building or how a building is used to help gain access to another building. There's a lot of things you can do, and certainly in our safety-minded, or I should say safety-obsessed uh, fire service culture, especially in departments that don't do a lot of activity, um, there's almost this waiting-for-failure type uh, focus. It's not a what-can-we-do-to-succeed-and-protect 
It's more, what can we do to avoid a wholesale failure? And that, unfortunately, puts people's lives at risk. It is a real thing. And unfortunately, um, it's going to take a lot of work to, to move on from that. But it's worth moving on from. I have uh, watched a lot of politics over the years and um, participated in more than a few uh, campaigns for, for firefighters to get higher wages or better equipment, so on and so forth. Um, I can always, almost always, figure out who's a real political leader, say a mayor, council, commission, whatever they are. You can almost uh, point to the ones who know what they're saying or know what they're talking about and the ones who don't. Recently, I was sent uh, by quite a few people a comment made by a mayor that said, well, you know, in their, this department's they're in the midst of pushing for uh, higher salaries. They're, they're hemorrhaging people. People are leaving left and right, and so um, this mayor uh, ends up saying, well, we have people that would work for us for free. Thank you uh, for uh, the statement there, and people get upset at it, but to me, he did everyone a favor because he just removed himself from the equation as a responsible political leader. Think about it. What leader, in response to a challenge, turns around and goes, well, I mean, yeah, we're losing people left and right. I mean, obviously we are, but, you know, we have people that would work for us for free. That is a betrayal of an ignorance that is deep-seated. And I sent that quote around to others, and... It was universal in the response. Wow. You know, what's this guy thinking? You know, he has set his city, town, county, whatever up in the future. One guy came back, and, he, and this guy runs campaigns for people, and he said, I'd love to run against him. You know, who is he? Because those types of comments, which seem to be, you know, innocuous to many people, um, they're not. It's a betrayal of a deep-seated level of ignorance about how um, cities, counties, whatever, how they operate. And frankly, um, if it weren't for these firefighters uh, not being able to compete with the people around them, it would be funny. But it's not. Of course, it's not funny. It's not funny because people are trying very hard to make a living. And they go away for a day at a time away from their families and friends. And what they realize, what they begin to realize over time is that the people in charge don't care about them. They just don't care. It's evident. And no matter what, you know, and, and here's my thing. There eventually comes a time when you end up having to cast the light on, on the monies that, that are being spent in a budget for other things, right? Um, how much went to somebody's pet project? Who exactly supports this mayor? What other politicians support him? And how can you leverage them? 
What have they done that's not too smart? There's all kinds of things that can go on here. Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, the first job, the first order of business is to do your job and to keep doing your job. And then if they're hemorrhaging people, maybe there's a reason. Maybe the grass is greener elsewhere. Uh, I can tell you this. When a department has high turnover, it's never about one reason. I don't care what anyone says. It's never about one reason. It never is. It hasn't been, and it won't be. It begins to shine lights, uh, to shine a harsh light on everything. What smart politicians, and I use the word smart, usually do is they try to get out ahead of this. They try to come up with, with uh, plans. What the ones who aren't so smart do is they keep antagonizing. They keep saying, well, you know, we're going to wait another two months, three months, five months, eight months, ten months, whatever it is. And what they end up doing is not only losing good employees, but they end up losing the heart and soul of any department. And good luck regaining that. Again, I say to firefighters all the time, how much does your department care about you? How do they show it? Well, it's good questions and uh, interesting, I think. Very, very interesting. Here's to good luck for those firefighters in trying to um, convince people that, um, you know, that what they do matters. Because ultimately, the, you're shown. You know, you can have people who talk and say, we appreciate you. You know, they're there every election. They're there at little events and how much we appreciate our, our firefighters. And then you have instances like this and you want to see, well, who's coming out saying, you know what, we appreciate our guys. We appreciate the men and women who do this job. Um, these women and men, they go out and they sacrifice uh, their lives. See? Yeah. So talk all you want, but showing is much, much more powerful. I talked a, a while back about a fire chief who was arrested uh, for uh, providing false information on, uh, on some fire reports. And, you know, uh, this issue brought a lot of responses to me. Um, it's amazing just how, how far some departments will go, um, how far they will push the envelope. And it's also disheartening, um, because in, in, at the end of the day, here's, here's the thing, right? Your department is who they are until you transform it. it it's who you are. And if you're proud of your department and you think your department's competent and professional, it shows. It does. It shows. If people are trying to short-circuit a process, if they're trying to, uh, to use a faux foundation to build a heavy house on, it all comes down. And I tell guys this all the time when they're starting to get real high about things and overly happy about things. Don't get too high. Don't get too low. 
You know, one of the problems about getting too high and thinking, man, we've got this licked, is when you build it on a phony foundation, it comes down. Might not be today, might not be next week, but it will, it will, it'll crash to the ground. And all of those people that you laughed at and passed on the way up are all the people who will laugh at you and, and everything else on the way down. Be wary. Also, don't lie on fire reports. Don't lie on training reports. If you do the training, log it. If you respond to the calls, log it the way it's supposed to be logged. I said this the other day and I mean it. We depend on data for a lot of different things in life. In the fire service, uh, budgets are, are, are tied into data. If you give garbage data, when it comes out, and it will, uh, there are bad things that are going to happen to your department and to you. Period. Write it the way it happened or get somebody else to write it. If you don't think you can, then get somebody else to. Ultimately, it's on you. It's your honor at stake, your integrity, yada, 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 yada. Don't create information that's not there. Don't make it look bad. If, don't make it look good if it's bad, and don't make it look bad if it's good. Just be forward in the data that you supply people. It's not worth it. It's not worth losing your freedom over, that's for sure. Search. I, uh, I was able to, to participate online in a little forum uh, on search and rescue, and uh, I was asked to give some comments, and, and uh, I just want to go over one of the comments that I had, and, and this was a really well thought out little seminar type thing, and uh, it really went into uh, some of the finer points about searching. And the point that I made, and it's something that I deeply believe in, is that you, whoever you are, you're responsible for your own size up. When you arrive on the scene, you cannot depend on the other person to always have to tell you exactly where you are in a structure. Amazingly, when you first start thinking about search, um, when you show up, there's so much going on. I hear people all the time that say, man, I, I just even I didn't even think to look and see if it was a two-story, if it was a three-story, what type of roof, if the windows in the front had, had uh, you know, uh, iron over the windows or, or if they were clear. Well, here's the thing. It's your responsibility to know. It is. Um, if you get inside and things go bad, and you have to get out, you need to know what type of building you're in. You do. I am not saying that you stop and pull out a sketch pad and sketch everything. That's not what I'm saying. We're human beings. There's only so much information we can take in. But as you're walking to the scene, look around you. See what it is. Is it a wood frame? You know, What's the entrance look like? Where are the windows over the entrance? Are the windows on either side of the entrance? Um, you know, if, you, if you've got a two-story, um, are there dormers? Uh, do dormers matter? You bet. Take it in. 
It's a quick visual. Okay, that's what it is. We call the, cert, the primary the quick and dirty. Well, we can do a quick and dirty size up too. What am I facing? You know, I, I know one time I was out of, uh, out of state. I was in a northeastern state. And guys went in to do a, um, a search. And I was out there standing. And we saw these same guys come out the rear of a, of a, a house onto a porch. Luckily for them, and I say luckily because it was, um, that porch allowed them to step onto a roadway that was elevated. They were able to get out, walk down that bridge onto a thing, and then down a little embankment back to the scene. The reason I say that is because that the floor that they were on, um, yeah, it flashed. So they knew. They were fortunate. They were prepared. And I asked them when we were back at the station and all, after everybody cleaned up and all, we were sitting out there, and I said, hey, did you guys know that was back there? And one of the guys said, oh, yeah. He said, I saw it when we were going in. And another guy piped up, and he said, yeah. He said, I've been here before. I remember this house. And I said, oh, you had a fire here. He said, no, no. Came for a shooting. He said, but I saw that, and I cataloged it in my head. And I'm thinking, man, that's awesome. That's what it's all about. You have to be responsible for you. If you're in there, your partner may not have that knowledge. They may, but maybe they're incapacitated. If you're always depending on the person who's beside you, the better firefighter, the more experienced, the whatever, and they go down, guess what? You're, it's you. So don't always depend on somebody else to know everything that's going on around you. Know yourself. Know your job, do your job. Know the scene, do the scene. Work the scene. If you're doing a search, work the search. Work it all the way through. If you're confident, and I don't mean cocky, if you're confident because you're prepared, you will do well. If not, well... Maybe you get away with it. Maybe you get away with it for your whole career. Maybe somebody else has to pay the price uh, for you not being prepared. That's always a possibility. What a horrible thing to live with, though. What a horrible thing. That's going to do it for today. We'll be back tomorrow with another podcast. Until then, stay safe.